everybody. Welcome to another episode of Switchcraft, the Fingerboard Podcast. I'm sitting here as usual with Julian Buono. Hello, everyone. And this time we have a special guest over Skype, the one and only Mike Schneider. Hello, how's it going, everybody? We figured this is definitely a guest that most people would like to share information, stuff like that. Like, I mean, but... even though a lot of stuff exists about you in the internet, you're still like the guy when it comes to the newer wave of fingerboarding. <laughs> Pretty cool to have you here. Um, let's start right at the beginning. What was first for you, the small board or the big board? Or how did you get into fingerboarding? Um, yeah, I started skateboarding when I was like eight or nine. Kind of started fingerboarding a little bit after, like maybe a few months after I started skateboarding. I don't even know how I got into skating, but I just started doing it and liking it. And then like kids in my class had fingerboards. So I thought it was super cool because I was like skateboarding and then yeah, I would just like try out their tech decks and stuff. And I was always asking my parents, like, can you buy me tech deck? And like they had no idea how bad I wanted it. So it took like half a year. And then like eventually they bought me one and I was just so obsessed with it. Do you have a a vague idea when that was? Like which year? Like Yeah. Um I was nine years old. And now I'm 26, so like 17 years ago. Crazy. Yeah, like it was like the end of 2002, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's that's also when the when the first hype in Germany really started with tech decks. Yeah, they started here in like '99, but I didn't see them. Yeah, no, I was like too little then. Yeah. Okay. So do you actually still have that tech deck? Yeah, it's right over there on my wall. <laughs> oh, <cool. laughs> I, I don't I have like, a single tech deck from that time. <laughs> Sorry, what? can like send you a picture of it if you want to include it somehow. Oh, that's cool. Sure, that's yeah, cool. That, let's do that. At what point did you start to realize that you can actually do tricks on a fingerboard? Because I remember when I had my first tech deck, I was just like fumbling around. Oh um, yeah, maybe some pressure flips. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a mix between fumbling around and like trying to control it. Like we all used three fingers for the first yeah. few months or so in class and stuff, just like flicking it around. But I don't know, I guess we were trying to do tricks like pretty much the whole time. I don't know how good we were in the beginning, but like we would always stack up different books and whatever we could find. Build yeah, stuff. Yeah. We would yeah. like stay home, stay inside from recess instead of going outside and just <laughs> stay in class. Like five or ten of us just like playing with fingerboards, tech decks. Did others of of that class also stick with fingerboarding or were you the only one who still did it? Um yeah, like Pat McGinn's the only one who still does it. Oh no. damn. <laughs> so sick. that's like super cool. And then the rest of them like we kind of, we all fingerboarded a lot for like fourth grade and then some kids in fifth grade. And then after that, like for a few years, like a few of them did it. Like the kids who stayed skateboarding kind of stuck with fingerboarding for a few years. And then like they were not super into it. Like I was obsessed with it and Pat was obsessed with it. Yeah. And like everybody else just like, it was a cool thing for them for a few years and then they moved on to whatever else. Just like how you try out 20 different sports when you're mm. a kid. Most yeah, of them you yeah. forget about. And was it, did you start with your YouTube account like directly into fingerboarding? No, 
There was no YouTube back then, actually. Oh, right, right, right. Like, we were uploading videos onto servers, and then, like, you had to download the video, and then you could watch it on your computer. <laughs> and we were using, like, dial-up internet, so it would take, like, 12, 13 hours to download, like, 50 seconds of somebody fingerboarding, like, in 240p on a little webcam thing. <laughs> yeah, even, it was even awesome just, back then. Even just getting a video, like, digitally was a pain in the ass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, there were videos, but it was pretty underground. Like, we would share them on, like, Tech Deck forums or the, um, there was, like, FFI and, like, RZF for that. I, like, just caught the end of that barely. And, um, yeah, we would, like, upload it to some server and then, like, you would post a link to it that people can download. And then eventually, like, somebody invented the fact that you could go on a website and watch a video on the website yeah. and actually like before youtube or around the same time there was a few others like youtube and so i had like accounts on vimeo and youtube and a few others like right in the beginning and then <clears throat> like youtube just became the one that stuck around that got the most popular yeah. so i just kind of stayed using that like the other ones would get shut down over time or like Vimeo was better quality, but for some reason it just never got popular oh. and stuff like that. That one still exists also, and like some of my old videos are on there, like some really cool stuff that's not on YouTube. Say, I'm gonna Did, maybe link that. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Um, if you're not Dude, too embarrassed. Dude, set is the best video ever. <laughs> and it's only on Vimeo, I think. <laughs> Did you ever feel like excluded from the German scene? Because I remember during my time there was a lot of stuff during the Black River forum and the Fingerboard.de forum and I don't think either had an English section. Was there... Oh, yeah. I was gonna say like it didn't feel excluded, it was just like that most of it was in German. Yeah. And you know it's like across the world and you have no idea what's going on so like yeah. it was more irrelevant, we just didn't think of it as a possibility kind of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like it was still back when nobody would kind of meet in person or anything like that, really. It was yeah. like, you're either fingerboarding with the people that you know, or you're just by yourself um, at your desk and on the computer and stuff. And, you know, if we, like, found something from Germany, it was, like, really cool to look at, but we didn't know what, what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think sometimes I would go on the forums and, like, use a translator just to read what people were saying. <laughs> Probably the <laughs> translations were hijacked. <laughs> what yeah. about the first merging of the scene? Your first real contact with, with with the German scene, for example, was it maybe with your with your first wooden fingerboard? Because I mean, I watched your Berlinwood review. Like that was one of the first fingerboard related yeah. videos I ever watched. So how did that kind of play out? Um, I don't remember exactly what the first, like, thing was, but I remember a few of the first things. It's, like, in no order. But kind of, I guess the first thing was, like, when I got rip tape. Because I was still mm -hmm. in school. I was in, like, probably in elementary or, no, maybe it was middle school. I can, like, picture the room where I was fingerboarding using rip tape for the first time, like, the, the day I got it and, like, I brought it to school right away. Dang, was that middle school? Anyways, like, it was pretty early when I started fingerboarding, and I got rip tape, 
and I expected it to be really bad, so I only put it on a tech deck instead of yeah. like a good board. And then it was like super good. And I was like, wow, this is insane. And then I put it on like this Vegas board that I had. And anyway, so like to get rip tape, you have to find like um, a person who sold Black River stuff in the US. And they always existed for like two months and they would sell a batch and like scam half of the people and then disappear. But like if you're lucky, you actually got it. And it happened like with two different distributors. So. The first stuff. Yeah, I forget which order, but one was Moses and one was Amber Charlton. And they both kind of like sold some ramps and some rip tape in Berlin Woods. And like it was really expensive for a kid back then. And like I guess it still is because it's like top quality and everything. Yeah. But you know, we all saved up to get what we could and then just hope that it arrived. <laughs> like, got rip tape and it was really crazy cool stuff. And then eventually I got like my first Berlin wood and I have it. Yeah. I'll send you a picture of that one too. Yeah. That thing was crazy. I just remember it was the longest board I ever saw because oh. it was like a hundred millimeters or so, maybe 98. I don't know, but like it was just longer than what we had. Yeah. Sure. Crazy. But like so nice, like the quality of that compared to the other wooden boards that we were getting at that time was like next level. It was like, damn, that's why it's, $20 instead of $4 because it's really, <laughs> really good and really fancy and perfect. Like, it's not really something a nine-year-old would make. It's, like, yeah. something somebody a little bit more experienced could produce with practice and time. Stuff like yeah, that. sure. Do you remember your first wooden fingerboard? Yeah, it was uh, Skulls and Bones, just, like, a little company somebody had. Don't think that I have it anymore, uh, but it was, like, three dollars <laughs> crazy it was three dollars and like the shape was pretty much like a u kind of like with oh, a little thanks. concave thing in the center but it was pretty um pretty thin too it was probably like three plies i remember like the feeling because it was just raw wood like colored with a yeah. marker or something on the bottom and it was so good i guess like my first few videos you'd probably see me using it I'll see what I can dig up on that. <laughs> for today's standards, it would kind of look like a kid's first wooden fingerboard that they made or something, but yeah. it was really good for what it was. Like the shape and the size it just worked nice and it put skate grip on it. And like it was kind of better than a tech deck anyway. Yeah. So cool. And when did you start doing your own boards? Or, how, or why did you start? Were you just like, we're just looking for better quality or did you want to make it cheaper or what got you into board making? Um, I don't know. I guess like on online and stuff, I saw different tutorials about how you can make boards a little bit, like not with crazy info, but just enough mm -hmm. to like make me want to try it. And, um, you know, I always saw like how skateboards were made and like I had all these cool skate videos and stuff like that in it. And, um, yeah, like, I didn't know what the wood was called, so it took me a really long time to find thin wood that I could use, and eventually I was at a friend's house, and his dad was like, oh, yeah, I got this wood veneer, and I'm like, what's wood veneer? And he showed me, and it's, like, really thin wood. It's, like, the flies of a fingerboard, and I was like, that is amazing. And I thought, like, 
this is like this crazy, like you can't get it anywhere and only this kid's dad had it. So I had to get some <laughs> And like I molded it between two tech decks and I made a really good board. And I just remember like it was so early in my fingerboarding that like the board came out of the mold and it had a really nice defined shape with like the concave in the middle going up a little. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, this is so weird. Like, why is it bent up in the center? I need to, like, fix it. So I was, like, clamping it back down after I took it out of the mold, <laughs> trying to, like, flatten the center out. And then later <laughs> I realized, like, damn, that had a pretty good shape, though. And I, I didn't even notice that the Tech Decks had that concave like mm -hmm. that somehow. Like, it was really just a beginner. And anyways, my first board, like, came out really good. And then after that, they got a little bit worse. And then... <laughs> It got better, like, over time. But it was, like, really mind-blowing just when I finally got the wood because I wanted to, like, make them so badly. And I don't know why I wanted to make them. I I guess just because I thought it was cool. Like, I want to make a board, so I have a board, like, made out of wood that I can use or whatever. I didn't really think, like, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so this wasn't related at all with flat face and everything. So flat face came to be later, I assume. It was, like, before I made a wood board, I already had, like, a company, kind of. Like, it wasn't really selling anything, or it was just me and my friends, like, you know, our crew and whatever. And so I called it, like, Death Fingerboards. And then <laughs> I was, like, selling skate grip, like, cut up into sheets, and then yeah. modifying trucks and stuff, like, doing little things. And so it was, like, kind of a company, but, like, obviously nothing serious, like, probably didn't like sell too much stuff for like it was just like yeah you have a dollar like here's five pieces of grip or something like that yeah yeah sure then like i told my dad i was like i want to put my company in the newspaper <laughs> oh that's not gonna work out <laughs> yeah i still remember and he was just like you can't do it with a name like that and so then i changed the name from death to death which is like deaf is like when you can't hear anything. Yeah, 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 sure. Okay. <laughs> so it's like not even better at all. But I changed it to that for like a little while. And then I was like, okay, no, that's not going to work for the newspaper either. And then I kind of forgot all about the newspaper thing. But eventually, like, I just changed it to flat face because I was like reading something online. And it was just like, these are websites that don't exist. And it said like something about flat face something. And I was like, yeah, flat face is just so random. I'm just going to call it flat face. And like, there's no like story behind it. It's just a random word. Like, well, it came out nicely. I mean, yeah. it has some ring to it. Yeah. And I really like it. And I remember like when flat face started to get big, I was like, oh man, now I'm stuck with such a stupid name. Flat face. <laughs> I can't change it now because everybody knows it already. But actually, it's like a pretty cool name. Yeah. It's perfect. But uh, going back to the newspaper thing, do people in your town know that you do fingerboard stuff? Like, is that something that is reported in a in a town news magazine? Because I imagine it's quite a novelty to have someone quite young have his own company and employing his parents. And yeah. Yeah, actually, it did get in the newspaper a couple of times, which is like pretty funny. Um, there's been like a couple of really cool articles. One was like 2007 or 2008. And then... There's been like a few newer ones since then. Um, 
I don't know. Like, you know, like I look out my window, there's like six houses. I don't know if they know that I fingerboard or not. Like, <laughs> not really sure like how many people know. But like one time I was shopping in the grocery store and then like the dude that was putting my stuff in the bag just asked me like, how's the company going? And I was like, what? You know who I am? <laughs> so like, I don't know. I guess a lot of people know, but I don't really know the extent of it. Maybe that's actually like your, your FBI agent <laughs> that is assigned to you. you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So when did uh, Flashhead start getting big? Like when when was the step that you realized that you you have something with it? And it's more like, than just a hobby or Yeah, the first big step was like when Close Up asked me if I could distribute their completes here. Mm -hmm. And because at this point I was selling my own things like my boards But I couldn't make as many boards as people wanted. Yeah. And so I would just make some and then sell like five boards and then take a break and close the shop and wait until I had like two more extra boards ready to sell. And then, you know, it was very slow and small. And then like close up somehow we got in contact and they were like, you want to sell our completes in the U.S.? And so I started doing that and it was pretty cool because they had a product that was ready that they had a lot of that I could buy it and then sell it to people here. And then people here could get it because they didn't want to get it shipped from France to them and stuff like that. I think that was a big turning point because then I was, remember when that was. It was like around 2007, I think. And then it kind of fueled everything. Like it made me realize like, all right, I need to make my boards and make them available and like make a lot of them continue on that path. Like then I got into the same thing with Black River and I got super lucky that they were down for it and that they let me distribute rip tape is like how it started. Because I didn't have money to buy like a lot of ramps and sell them. I just had like maybe if I made some extra money from my own boards and from the close-ups, And I kind of put the extra money towards like my first Black River order, which was, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 packs of rib tape or something like that. And oh, sick. whatever it was, like each time I was able to order a little bit more. And then so I was like, hey, could I get like some box twos also? And like they're small, you can throw them in or something. Mm. And it really slowly grew from like selling a few fingerboard things to like being able to do more and more. And I was doing wheels at the same time. So I think the wheels really like brought it to the next level too. It kind of all like really started to grow at that point where like it got yeah. serious. Were those actually like the first bearing wheels in the US? Yeah, the only other bearing wheels were just in Germany and they were Winkler wheels. Mm -hmm. And they were like impossible to get. Like nobody in this country okay. ever saw them in person. Okay. Like, impossible. Like we all wanted them, but you couldn't do it. And then, yeah, somebody in England was like, hey, I don't have, like, bearing wheels, but I just have the same bearings, like, similar bearings, like, what you would find in them or whatever. And so I was in contact with him. And because I guess he was, like, selling the bearings and people were trying to, like, drill out tech deck wheels and put the bearing in, mm -hmm. which, like, kind of worked a little bit, but it wasn't that great because the wheels yeah. were not really that round anyways. Like, you know, tech deck wheels are, like, not that great. So yeah, yeah, you can put a bearing in it and it will roll. But then like when you put it on the ground, it doesn't roll because it has like bumps on it. I was able to get the bearings. And I think like right before I was able to get those, I was already making some wheels. They just didn't have bearings in them. Um, okay. Probably made wheels like for a year before that or something. And yeah, and then like when I got the bearings, I was able to just modify like my wheel 
to fit the bearings pretty simple and then it was like whoa these are the first bearing wheels in the u.s like there's only one other company in the world doing it and it was all the way in germany like super far from here it was like really cool real pioneer work kind of and what material yeah. did you make them out of oh yeah that would have been my next question as yeah. well yeah so it's the tea material it's like a white material and it was super like slippery kind of but mm -hmm. had a really really smooth feel and i still sometimes make wheels out of those uh out of that material but it's just a little soft so it's not as durable as like the cards mm -hmm. but it has a totally unique feel so um g1 through four was that material mm -hmm. and then g5 i realized like wait a minute i can like mess around with other materials with the same process and see what comes out and so like then i started playing with different materials and then g6 was like where it got serious because i found the turquoise and the red that were kind of like like that turquoise is like a staple like of flat face wheels for sure yeah sure yeah I mean, one of your favorite setups, yeah. Asimon, right? Yeah, I don't have it with me, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got him right here, too. Yeah. Woo! See, it's so dark. Yeah, uh, somebody on Instagram actually asked me if you're going to bring the tea material back, like, on, on a more stable basis, kind of. Yeah, um, I, I make them sometimes mm -hmm. because people want them, but, like, it's hard to explain to people that, like, it's going to break. Yeah. <laughs> you can buy this and it's really good, but you know, flat face wheels, all the other ones, they could last you like five years or something crazy. And these ones might last you six months, one year, two years. I don't know, but it's just, okay. it's not the same. It's like, it's a really good product, but the material is softer and there's nothing you can do about the fact that like it will break sooner. And that's the same with the John Coward wheels that like people really want. And they do last a long time, but they don't last as long as the other wheels. So I, I kind of make them as a limited edition thing, like here and there. And I just like have to explain, like, they're not going to break in five minutes, but they might break in a few months or something. Mm. So like, if you really want them that bad, you can buy them and enjoy them. Yeah. More a bit of an esoteric question. Uh, why do you think a lot of people make decks, but only quite a few people do make wheels? Because, I mean, lately it started like a, a bit of a wave of people making wheels, but for a long time there were only a few wheel companies. Like maybe four that were actually yeah. to be considered decent professional fingerboard wheels, yeah. if even. <clears throat> I think it's just more of a technical thing and not everybody's super technical. Mm. For especially for like a ten year old kid, it's like pretty difficult. Like I was lucky that my dad's an engineer and he was able to teach me like, oh, if you want to make something, like you have to draw it and you have to measure it and you have to do this. Like I had somebody to teach me how I could like make anything that I could think of, you know, and like some people just don't really have the ability to do that or like they don't know where to begin or how to figure it out. And then it's like, how do you make it different? How do you make it better? What's the point of doing it? Like there has to be a good reason, I guess. Did you ever dip your toes in making trucks? No, not really. Like, I thought about it around when Black River was doing it, maybe yeah. a little before them. And I didn't do it because it was super expensive. Like, mm -hmm. the mold to get started is super expensive. 
And then I was really thinking about it, but it would have kind of been like my whole extra savings at the time. And I was like, I don't know if I can make back like some crazy, whatever it was, maybe it's, but it's super expensive to make a truck mold. And yeah. so I was thinking like, if I spend this much money, if I save up and then spend it all in a truck mold, like I could be screwed because what if I realize yeah. like they're not that good or they need a change or something like mm. it was way too scary. And then to see yeah. Black River do it was so awesome. And they did a really good job with it. Like Martin told me like, yeah, all these different measurements on this, like even though it, it just looks how it does, like it's thought out really well so that it performs good. Mm. And you know, when you use Black River trucks, like they perform better than any other trucks out there. Yeah. For sure. Like at least in my opinion, but especially compared to what we had, which was only tech deck. Yeah. Yeah. So like he did a really good thing with that. And then so on one hand, I saw like, okay, it's possible to make trucks and it's possible to make your money back on it. Like if you do a good job and you sell them for a long time and stuff. And then I was like, but Martin just did it so well. I don't think I can do it better than that. I really, you know, it was like, I could try to do it. And what would be the point? I feel like it would come out worse or the same or whatever. But like, I don't know. It was just like, this is pretty much a perfect product already. So I'm just mm -hmm. like, do it like i don't want to be competing and i don't want to like screw myself over by yeah. spending my money on like a project that's like too expensive and not really worth it so yeah, it's really a bit of an all-in if that's only just the, the first mold and you still have to go through a testing phase and all that yeah exactly like if you know you can make a mold and it could be like 70 percent good and but yeah. something needs a big change and then you have to like do it again no way. <laughs> Might as well buy a house instead. <laughs> when when did you buy your house? Um, I bought my house when I was seventeen, actually. <laughs> Crazy! Wow. Cool. Um, I think a lot of people ask you about urethane wheels. Why don't you make urethane wheels, or why ever thinking about doing urethane? Um, it's just not my preference, personally. Mm. The whole reason that I make anything is at this point, like, because I want to make it really good. Like, I want to make what I want to use, kind of. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. That's like with my boards. I've been making them for so long and always modifying it to be like, okay, if I change this, it works better. And if I change this, it works better. And like, it's not what like somebody else thinks I should make. It's just like, mm -hmm. I make what I think should be the best thing or whatever. So for me, like the materials that I use are the materials that I find perform the best, like for my own fingerboarding style and yeah. stuff, and allows me to do harder tricks with less effort and stuff. And urethane wheels are super cool. They feel awesome for sure, like they're just different, um, but I don't really prefer using them like on my main setup. It's usually more of a fun thing or like on certain materials it's fun, but like not for all around everything. Yeah. So yeah, I just kind of leave that for the people that are more passionate about it because they can yeah. do a better job than me. And then the really cool thing is like that I have a collaboration wheel with Oak. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we both put our best things together. It's like, we'll do the dual durometer and we'll do the yeah. Oak outside. So it feels like that, but it feels a little different because it's the dual duro thing. And those are <laughs> super fun too. So that's kind of like the best of both worlds. And it's like a totally unique thing, like nobody else has something yeah. like that. And you also distribute Oak. 
Oh, yeah, like which is super side. cool. So instead of having to make a product to compete with somebody, which I wouldn't mm. want to do, it's like I can support their brand and they can support mine. And like it helps everybody because then you don't have to order it from Portugal and pay $20 shipping for a $30 yeah. set of wheel and then wait for three weeks and figure out how to get your money there. It's like way easier to just buy everything in the US. So yeah. it helps out like everybody. For us, it's the same. If we want flat face wheels, we usually go to FBS because it's just more convenient. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It makes more sense for everybody and it helps out everybody better. Although I was like so hyped on the on the J wheels that I yes. ordered them like straight away from your side, like <laughs> the moment they dropped, like <laughs> fuck! I just placed an order a week ago, and now <laughs> this drops. Well, anyway, <laughs> but, uh, they yeah, like we ship worldwide, so anybody if you're if you can't find what you're looking for, like in your local area, we can get it to you. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, but the uh, the whole uh, J material was kind of a new new step up from from my pers perspective because it's totally different than the other flat face wheels. But still, it's uh, I love that wheel. Like, like yeah, it, it's feels... almost a crossover of like plastic and urethane. Like, yeah. it's like a hybrid kind of, and it feels super good. It's like the best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah it still has like that super precise flat face feel compared with the softer. How how yeah. do you find those materials? Do you have like a catalog that, that you flip through or like <laughs> I have no idea how to get those kinds of materials. Swell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's top secret for sure. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, all the materials that I select are like chosen for specific reasons. Like before I even try to make a wheel out of it, it's like I do a lot of research into it and like how durable is it? What special properties does it have? And like some material, well, actually I can't really, I don't want to give out too many secrets, but yeah. there's like some really cool things on more of like a scientific level that make yeah. my materials kind of like better for fingerboard wheels than the next material. Mm -hmm. I don't want to like give out those secrets, but yeah, sure. there's like some really cool stuff with the materials that like, you know, each of them is unique too. Like the gold ones are harder and the turquoise ones are a little softer. And you know, like the tea was like super smooth with like that, like oily type of feel, all kinds of cool stuff like that. And one time I had a material that had like graphite in them and it was just for like what? a short, um, like one or two batches we did. And like, they would leave crazy skid marks on everything. <laughs> And it was cool. I forget what I called them. I might have just called them like the graphite wheels or something. But it was just a small amount of graphite in the material. So like you don't get a track when you ride, but like if you power slide, it like leaves a little like skin mark or whatever. So what about was, the durability? Yeah, they were super durable too though. Oh wow. It was insane. Like the material is very durable. It just has like a little bit of graphite mixed in somehow. Okay. That was years ago. I wonder if anybody has those. I bet somebody watching. It's gonna. <laughs> <laughs> they were just gray, like dark gray wheels. All right. Yeah, uh, I really like the different, the different hardness of all your wheels, because that's like something for everybody. Like Ramon, he he uses the golden ones, and I don't think he will be able to break those. And that can't yeah. be said about everything he uses. He's crazy. <laughs> he shreds things down till the bearing practically. Yeah. Like, he goes crazy. Fingerboard so hard. Like yeah. some wheel testers out there, 
Ramon's your guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, I've never seen anybody else like him in the way that he can like go through fingerboard stuff. Like in a genuine way, it's not that he's trying to destroy it, he just like uses it till it's gone. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, what about like um, your, your, your housemates, the fluctuation of people in and out of uh, your, your friendships, how, how did that develop? on on an even international basis yeah it's really crazy how like fingerboarding is such a community of like-minded people it's like pretty much everybody you meet through fingerboarding you're gonna get along with them pretty well even if they're like the worst person you can get along with them but like there's a lot of really really cool people that i've met over the years can like i got my house i kind of didn't even like realize that i got a house it was more of like i don't know the whole house thing was like crazy. It took a long time for it to set in and realize like that I have my own house. And then like I started living here and then all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, like nobody is around me. I'm <laughs> just by myself. Like I hang out with friends all the time, but like nobody lives here. And then like, uh, yeah, like Jay moved in with me, which was really cool. And we got to live together for like a few years. And I've had a lot of other roommates too at different times like for a short amount of times for like half a year for a year like a few months and like they've all been super fun because um, I have like a couple extra rooms so like Ryan Bernier lived here and like Max Odo and all these different people I had like Alex Gill live here for a while that was really fun like tons of different fingerboarders some of my friends from town have like lived here for different amounts of time too so it's cool to like have a place that you can just like chill with your friends and it's like it's a really cool kind of like fingerboard community like spot I guess like a lot of cool things happen for sure. Also like how did how did the the rendezvous develop like was that out of necessity to have an US event kind of or yeah exactly. That was a really cool thing. I'm glad that it worked out how it did because, like, basically, I saw the German fingerboard events and it was yeah. just unreal because here was still at the point where, like, nobody was aware of any fingerboarder that, like, met another fingerboarder. Yeah. From online. Like, that was not even a real thing yet. And I was seeing, like, wow. Like, I had Pissing Fingers, too, and I would watch that all the time, and I'm probably going to go watch that again today because it's been a while. <laughs> I watch it regularly as well. <laughs> it's so special, that video. And, wow, just seeing the way that, like, you know, they would have a fingerboard park or a few parks at a place, and people would be there together fingerboarding. And it was like, I knew Pat, and Pat was a really good fingerboarder. So, like, me and him would fingerboard together. But... That was it. Like, I didn't know anybody else that was, like, good at fingerboarding. And then I wanted to do this event. There was maybe five or seven kids from my town that fingerboarded. So I figured, like, I'll get them all to come and then just invite people from the forums. Like, mm -hmm. if anybody can come, it'll be really cool. And Taylor Rosenbauer was like, yeah, I have three friends or two friends, and we're going to come from New Jersey, which is, like, seven hours drive from here. And Holy shit. I was like that's awesome, let's do it, like, we'll put some parts out in my parents' driveway, and we'll have, like, this little rendezvous event, I must have been in fifth grade or something, I don't know, because I remember, like, the word rendezvous came from my history class, 
because I learned like that there was this word that means like a get together, and it was like a French word, and I have nothing, nothing about French. But the point is like, it was just like a word with a cool meaning that like made perfect sense for like the event, and yeah, like yeah, fingerboard rendezvous, and it was just the kids from my town and then Taylor Rosenbauer and like his, I think he brought two people. It was like Ian and John Contra probably Ian Bruno. Yeah. And they, then they, yeah, they said they were coming and then they canceled it. They're like, we can't come. Sorry. And then I'm like, Oh man, well, you know what? I'm just going to have my friends over anyways. And then last minute, like the night before Taylor was like, dude, we're coming. <laughs> and I was so happy. And then, yeah, we just made a video and we had a really good time and stuff. And then that was, as far as I know, that was like the first fingerboard event here. And it was like, you know, a small get together. It wasn't like pissing fingers, crazy events where they go to a hotel and like whatever, but it was a, it was a start. And, um, people saw the video and were like, I want to go to that too. What? <laughs> Do you remember the year? Um, roughly 2000. Six, five. I can actually check. Because yeah, in Germany, the uh, the events really started rolling around 2003, 2004. There yeah. were events before, but those were like the big ones yeah. where, where it actually became a thing. Yeah, it was actually 2007. I just found it. Okay. Yeah, there's a video on, on my YouTube. I uploaded it um, with Flat Face Fingerboard Rendezvous 1. So you can see all the footage wow and there was like this ramp that me and pat stayed up till five in the morning making so like he slept over the night before and we just made this crazy ramp we called it the ghetto blaster it's like a corner ball <laughs> with all the usps stickers on it and stuff <laughs> but anyways yeah. yeah like after we put that video up people saw like wow this is real you can like go fingerboard with people and then the second event had like a lot more people wanted to come so I think it yeah. might have been 15, 20 or more people. And I started meeting really cool people um, through these events because, you know, anybody willing to, like, drive with their parents for four hours to go fingerboard, like, in another state means, like, they're pretty into fingerboarding. And yeah. some of them were, like, really good at it or they made cool things or, like, whatever it was, like, something got the conversation started and then... Like, I met Christy, so I met all these different people. I met Jay for the first time at one of them. And some of them I knew online before that, and some of them I didn't really know that well online, just enough to be like, yeah, come fingerboard. Mm -hmm. And it made, like, some lasting friendships that I still have today. And did you start started making parks because of your events, or were you doing parks for your own before? Um, I was making ramps, not, like, yeah. full parks yet. But I was always making ramps, like different obstacles. Um, I still have some of the first ones I made with my grandfather, like when I was probably 10, 11, 12 years old, because um, he had all kinds of tools and stuff. So we were always doing projects anyways. So it was like, oh, let's try to make something for fingerboarding. <laughs> And every time I went there, I would just be like sitting on the floor with an obstacle, just fingerboarding all day. For, like, <laughs> <laughs> What was the first... Wow, yeah, the first park I made was, like, with John Cowart, I think. I don't know if that was the first park, but one of the first, anyways. And that I still have with, like, the roller with the quarter pipe made out of bricks, and then there's, like, a Euro gap and a quarter pipe. Oh, that one! The stair set with the marble rail ledge down. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the little thing. I think I saw that at the at the Vu place. Yeah, it's still there, and it's actually in good condition still too. <laughs> nice. Yeah, like uh, speaking of the Vu place, you have quite a collection of Black River parts there. Oh yeah. How, how did that start? Were it just one day like I'm gonna buy a Black River park, or because like shipping is probably hell. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, so, like, first I got a big mini, and I yeah. think I was the first person in the country to have a big mini also. Mm -hmm. And it kind of worked out because I was already in contact with Black River about, like, yeah. selling rip tape and whatever that I started with. Mm -hmm. And so one time I was like, okay, if you're going to ship, like, more ramps, if I'm going to order a big amount of ramps, maybe we can just add a big mini because it's already a big package. So mm -hmm. we'll just make it another foot taller and put a big mini on top and so right. like, and yeah it kind of worked out that way like because when it got to the point i don't know when i got the big mini but just in general like it got to the point that they were sending like a whole pallet worth of black river stuff and then it was like okay we can add something big in here and it's the same shipping price either way it doesn't affect yeah. it if it's one foot taller or not it's just a pallet so you load it up with ramps and then like can put a big mini or two so I even got to sell some big minis for other people like later on by doing that. Yeah. But yeah, my first park was like super crazy because I asked Martin like, hey, can I get a Black River park somehow? And he's like, yeah, it's going to be expensive for shipping, but I'll give you a free park if you want to like pay the shipping. And so it was worth it. It made it that like it was the price of a normal park instead of like two times the price. <laughs> Seems Whatever. like a good deal. Yeah. And so, like, the shipping was crazy because they were like, yeah, we can't just, like, mail it. It has to go through a special company, and then it has to go through customs, and then they put it on a truck with another company in your area, and you have to arrange them to bring it to you, and it's in a wooden box, and it's super heavy. And there was, like, all these details that made it really difficult, but we made it work. And then, like, a big truck came in my driveway one day and dropped it off. <laughs> And it was crazy, like, the first park that I got was a brand new park that he designed. So I was, like, the first person who had that park. Oh, cool. Like, even before it was in Germany, because he just made it and sent it here and then, like, modified it for the next ones that he made out there. It's, like, that one with a really steep wall ride. And it has, like, some granite, like, bonsai granite uh, ledges. Oh, I th could it be, like, the G7 with the curved section? Yeah, yeah, the G7 park. Mm -hmm. That's the one. And so, like, I got the first one. And there's pictures on, like, the Black River Flickr account, which everybody should, like, take yeah. five hours out of your life, like, start at midnight and just stay up all night looking through all the photos on Flickr <laughs> on Black River because it's amazing what they have on there. It's like a hidden gem in the fingerboard, like, internet community, I think. It's just look at so many pictures on there. There's this awesome stuff. But there's pictures of that park when it's brand new and it's all like in a black background and stuff. Nice. Yeah, it's the only place where I still find pictures from me at fingerboard events because <laughs> I didn't save those photos like 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Julian uh, received some questions over Instagram that we wanted to ask. Awesome. I'm going to start with one that I remember. It's uh, from uh, Nolly. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. Cool. Um, yeah, what's your favorite f German food or uh, 
uh, candy. Uh, yeah, exactly. Sweets oh, slash man. food. Yeah. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Every time that I go there, I'm so excited the whole time because if you know me, you know that I like to eat like all the time. And actually, I'm like eating right now, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> but as soon as I get there, I'm just so excited. Like they have these little bakeries, and like we don't have it the same yeah. way here how you guys have. Like you know, you get to the train station anywhere, and there's like a bakery, and they have sandwiches and sweets and all that stuff. And like to me, it's just higher quality food than you get in America. Like especially yeah. with the convenience and how cheap it is and stuff. Like. You can pay like one or two euros in Germany and get like a really good sandwich or something. And it's better than like a $10 sandwich in the US. And it's just at the train station, like easy everywhere. So like, as soon as I get there, I'm like filling my backpack with sandwiches and donuts <laughs> and whatever, like sweets and stuff. And the butter pretzels are really good too. And yeah. the- <laughs> I, I'm from the area where those come from and I really miss just being able to buy them at a regular bakery in Berlin because here it's not that thing but back where I'm from you can find them everywhere and I used to eat them all the time that's so good and yeah and then getting into like real food like a schnitzel with like some you know they come with some lingonberries and potatoes and stuff it's so good um I'm getting hungry. Hardyworth, <laughs> donor, everything. There's there's too many good things. Yeah. Like, I love it. Everything that I eat there is amazing. <laughs> cool. So another question that kind of stood out is: Does fin- fingerboarding teach you uh, teach you something about life, like in general? And if yeah, yes, fingerboarding what? is life. <laughs> Sorry. Fingerboarding is life. <laughs> That's a statement. Yeah, but actually, fingerboarding, like, I don't know, it kind of did teach me a lot about life in a lot of different ways. And yeah. I grew up a lot as a person, and like, fingerboarding has always been a really big part of my life. So it's always kind of been there through all these different learning experiences. And a lot I got, like, because I don't just fingerboard, but, like, I have a fingerboard company, so I'm, like, really involved with fingerboarding, mm-hmm. like, yeah. all these different ways. And so, like, in the early years of Flatface, I got a lot of, like, pushback from different companies, and, like, I would argue with them, like, if, if they were, like, there was people that would lie about Flatface and stuff, be like, oh, his boards are made in China, or, like, stuff like that, and it was like, dude, I'm making them right here, like, you can't say that. <laughs> like literally I'm working super hard every single day like making things with my own hands and you're lying saying that it's made in China so that people won't buy it like so I get really mad at all these people and like get into all kinds of arguments just trying to defend myself and like prove what I was doing and whatever and there's there's all different levels of stuff like that that happen and like you learn a lot by how those arguments go and how the outcome comes out and then like now I just keep to myself and I'm just like, you know, I let my work speak for itself and that's it. But um, yeah. all the different types of arguments that you have over the years, you realize kind of what works and what doesn't. And like mm-hmm. you grow a lot as a person, you realize like, okay, you can't just say mean things about a person that doesn't do anything. You don't want to, if somebody's doing something bad, you don't want to make a video about it telling people because then you're giving them publicity and like, like all kinds of things just like that 
you kind of learn how to like focus on more positive things and like I don't know just be yourself I guess fingerboarding a huge thing about it is like being yourself because it's such like a weird different thing that yeah. like if you're fingerboarding in public and people are looking at you but you're still just doing it and having fun like that shows that you're like you're a confident person who doesn't care what other people think about you you're like you're really doing what you want to do instead of trying to be cool or something and I think stuff like that is super important for people to stick with because like yeah you can like put that onto like anything in life but like you got to live your own life you don't want to live the life that people expect you to live or do the things people expect you to do when you can like do the things you enjoy instead because like there's no reason not to but like it's your life to enjoy so fingerboarding like taught me all kind of stuff like that that's a good answer yeah uh, what was your favorite trip wow all of them <laughs> Dude, there's so many ones um or maybe is there like a specific anecdote that was particularly fun that you would like to share from a certain trip something like that maybe let's yeah i mean i've had like i've done a lot of traveling and most of it is related to fingerboarding yeah and they were all awesome there's not one that i was like oh i wish i didn't go there like even some really random ones like i went to some smaller events in random states that i've never been to before and it was so cool and totally worth it but i have to say like the best was definitely germany like in general germany but especially the first few times that i went and the first few fast fingers that i went to and stuff because it was just so special and new and like super exciting and nice. like i said too like i grew up a lot as a person through all my traveling too just like seeing the world from a different angle and seeing things like that um But like the fingerboard scene in Germany was just like so crazy ahead of its time, like ahead of what it is here. So yeah, it's like super fun times there. Do you do you feel like the German scene is still ahead, or because I have the feeling that the USA scene is much more ahead at the moment? Yeah, it seems like everything's happening here now. Yeah, I guess. yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like Germany was a huge influence for us for sure. Lately, like, there's so many people in the U.S. doing things. Like, in California, there's a big scene, too. Yeah. And that's all the way across the country from here. Like, it takes the same amount of time to fly from me to California than from me to Germany. Like, it's the same country, but it's far. And it's really cool. Like, there's tons of people doing everything. So, like, I think we have, like, a really strong community now and, like, a really strong scene. Like, we have Scott B., doing dynamic trucks yeah. and those trucks are like actually really good like they're the only other fingerboard trucks that are anywhere close to black river trucks like performance yeah, yeah. they're yeah. super super good and yeah like we kind of just have like a really big community like there's a lot more people doing events than just me yeah. like when i started i was the only one and like not too long after you start seeing all these other events pop up and then like some of the events were really good and really big too mm -hmm. and it's awesome because then like If you don't live near Massachusetts, but you live in California, you can go fingerboard with like 200 people also. And I hope that things are like doing good in Germany because they had like a huge thing at one point. And like there's so many cool parks and people and history, and everything out there. Definitely. So I'm excited to come back like for Fast Fingers. Nice. So you're coming? Yeah, I'm booking it in like a week or two. 
Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, see you here, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so excited. Um, I have another question. Uh, what would you think would you be doing if you hadn't founded Flatface? Like, have you ever thought about job opportunities yeah. outside of fingerboarding? That's a really crazy one. I don't even know how to answer that because, like, I wanted to be a doctor my whole life since I was like three, mm. and then. Once I was like 16-ish, I didn't want to be a doctor anymore. And then it was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? What do I want to do? Like, you know, a lot of people kind of struggle with that when you get to that moment where you, you realize you need to do something and you don't know what you want to do. Um, yeah. And then luckily I realized at that point, like, Flatface is doing pretty good. I think I can try to do it as a job, maybe. I don't know, but I could try it, I guess. And it was like super scary just like yeah. <laughs> doing that instead of going to college because I don't know, but like my dad encouraged me. He was like, I think you're doing well enough that you can make it work. And I made it work. But I always think about like, if I didn't do that, what would I be doing? And I'm just like, I have no idea. <laughs> because now that I did flat face for so long, I realized like if I wanted to make another business, I would know how to run it from a business yeah. perspective. But it's like, I don't know. It would have to be something super random or whatever. So, but like, if I just didn't do flat face at all, and then I didn't have that like experience, mm -hmm. it would be totally different. I don't know if I would realize that I know how to run a business or not. Yeah. So I could have gotten into anything, probably something computer or technology related, or like, I have no idea. I'm just super happy that like it went this way. Yeah. I think we all are quite happy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. Do you have a couple more? I think that wraps about yeah. That's that's about it. Yeah. Cool. So, questions. <laughs> yeah, I think that that were the most interesting questions from the yeah. from the Instagram feed. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So so glad that you took time out of your day and yeah. Thank you. It really was cool. Yeah, absolutely. That was super fun. I love talking about all this. Yeah. It's super cool. All cool. right. Yeah, so, yeah, just thanks again. Well, yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. No worries. Yeah, and uh, one more thing before we wrap it up. Um, okay, right. This time on the episode, we used a jingle that was uh, done for us by Ben, Fingered Ben. He actually Sweet. did it by himself for without even talking to us and yeah, showed it to crazy. me one day and out of the blue and it's really cool so thank you so much for that so awesome. he's a funny dude yeah he's he's really totally. cool so yeah that's about it and yeah see and hear you next episode yeah Bye. see you guys next time